You're listening to Pride Month on the Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and today's story is The Reason Why by J.S. Hawthorne, who can be found most recently in Found Footage, a horror anthology by Thurston Howell Publications. Keep up to date with her work by checking out her Twitter, at JSHawthorne3. It is worth asking ourselves as we tell each other these stories which goal we are pursuing. Are we aspiring to worlds where bigotry does not exist, and living as ourselves is not brave because it does not need to be? Or are we acknowledging the hardships we have faced, the struggles to get even as far as we have, and the determination to face those still to come? We'll not presume to answer the question for you, listener, but instead offer a story that by being both asks the same question. Read by William Dingo, the Sunrise Spectator, please enjoy... The Reason Why, by J.S. Hawthorne. You seek to travel the changing ways, my child. The dragon, serene and inscrutable as the ocean, sat on its haunches near the entrance to the deeper forest. It was hard to make out in the gloom of the forest, a sentinel of dark scales and luminous blue eyes. The boy, a young skunk not yet into his teen years, frowned up at the great creature towering over him. It did not appear to be hostile, but appearances the boy had learned in his short existence could be deceiving. Could he, the boy wondered, trust this keeper of the gate? Maybe it would be better, he thought, to tell it what it wanted to hear. The dragon cocked its head at him, reminding him of nothing so much as a curious bird, and the boy resolved on honesty. I do, he said, his long striped tail swayed behind him. Will it, he hesitated, then plunged on, will it make me who I want to be? My child, said the dragon in its gentle, patient voice, only you can make you who you want to be. We all may be influenced by others, but in the end, we decide who we are. He was not entirely sure that made him feel better. The dragon sat, staring down at the boy, as though waiting. He swallowed. Will it hurt? he asked. The dragon shook its great head. Not a bit. It is a slow change, and you might feel some discomfort, but it will not hurt. What if I'm wrong? About wanting to walk the changing ways? the dragon asked. When the boy nodded, it smiled at him. Then you will have learnt something valuable about yourself. As with many things in life, there is no point along the ways where you cannot decide to turn back. The boy nodded. I... They said I would have to convince you that I really needed to do this. The dragon's smile turned sad. Oh my child, I am a guide, not a guardian. The only person you need to convince is yourself. Oh. The boy fidgeted a little bit, looking past the dragon at the small break between the trees that marked the beginning of the path. He did not step forward. The dragon laid itself next to the path, not blocking it but merely settling nearby, and indicated a well-worn stump not far away. If you wish, I can tell you a story while you decide if you are ready. The boy hesitated, eyeing the deeper forest, then sat carefully on the stump, 
arranging his dress as he made himself comfortable. What sort of story? It is a story of the changing ways. Once, a very long time ago, was a girl. She was a skunk like you, and like you she wished to travel the changing ways. When she was born she had been assigned a name and a role that were not hers, growing up in a body that did not function as her brain told her it should. In those days the changing ways were lost and wild. That was a time of great upheaval, where jealous and angry people fought to seize power, no matter the cost. The entrances to the ways were jealously guarded by individuals who had no use for it. Some of them had good intentions, an honest desire to protect and study the ways. Others saw power in being the arbiter of who was worthy enough to walk the ways. And yet others convinced themselves that to be different was to be dangerous, a deviation, something to be feared. Or worse yet, they saw that by controlling the ways, they could manipulate those who saw a threat in people who wanted nothing more than to live freely and honestly. This fight over access was a small portion of a larger cultural war, and the changing ways were treated at the time as a minor, unfortunate casualty in a more important conflict. This woman, she wanted to walk the changing ways, but found her way barred. The victims were treated not as people, but as allegory, a cautionary tale to warn others who were not so squarely in arm's way. Few fought for her, so she fought for herself, and for others like her. In the beginning, it was a battle of words. She spoke with everyone she could, trying to convince them that the changing ways were meant to be used, that they existed for a reason. Frequently, her pleas would go unheard. It took her years to find someone who was willing to let her travel the ways, and another year on top of that to perform all the tasks that person demanded before they would permit anyone to enter the deeper forest. She did all that was asked of her, and more. She persuaded those who had the power to stop her that she was worthy. She was an adult when she was finally allowed to walk the ways. There, every step of her path was watched, any deviation, she was told, would result in her access being revoked, being forced back into the role she had tried so hard to escape. She was forced to trade one uncomfortable body for another, albeit one closer to what she needed. If she tried to explain that she needed a different path, another way, she was chided and warned what would happen if they strayed from the way outlined for her. The people who told her this, they said, may even have believed that the rules they set out were for her protection. They said they wanted to be sure no one walked the ways accidentally, that no one regretted their choices. They told her there were dangers on the ways, fearful creatures, pitfalls, things waiting to hurt her. They said that the rules were to protect her. And while there are dangers to the paths one must walk through the deep forest, she found, over time, that the rules did nothing to protect her from those dangers. But she followed the rules as she was made to, and she walked her path. It is strange to consider how serendipitous life can be. Had this woman been born a little earlier, she might never have had access to the changing ways. Had she been born a little later, she might never have had the difficulties she faced. 
and wouldn't have had the fortitude to do what she had to do. She was born at the right time, and in the right place, and with the right circumstances. So when the world tilted, suddenly and frighteningly, she was ready. It was, and wasn't a surprise, for years life had been, for the most part, improving. These big battles, fights over the levers of power, had little effect on the day-to-day existence of most people. People pushed back against the gatekeepers who sought to control the changing ways. They educated others about what they needed, and who were able to explain to others how the systems of control had no value. There was growing support and opportunity for people like her, for people like you. It seemed, to many, to be inevitable that justice should prevail. Justice is not, however, inevitable. Those who sought power to rule uncontested resorted to darker and fouler means to achieve those goals. They grabbed hold of whatever they could and twisted it steadily to suit their own desires. They broke every facet of the social contract, violating every norm and custom so blandly that few could believe that it was happening. And so many simply did not believe. The corruptible became the corrupted. The corrupted became rulers. It is a sad truism that the most evil of individuals will scapegoat and target those with the least protection. So it happened that, after years of befouling every basis of government, one particularly loathsome individual took hold of the reins of power. He was not the first of these types of people to gain power, nor will he be the last, but he built an empire on a legacy of hatred and cruelty. Among his very first targets, even while he was still clawing his way to power, were people like her, like you. That should have been enough to stop him there, but while people are fundamentally good, they are also trained to ignore pain when it does not affect them personally. He attacked those who simply wished an honest life as who they were, and others wrote it off as unfortunate, but ultimately irrelevant to their lives. A temporary problem that would remedy itself when he was no longer in power. Yet, each position he secured, he used to cement his power, to make it harder to remove him from office. And with each step, he found himself needing more victims to appease those who supported him. So this man, as he became more powerful, became more horrible for the individuals forced to live under his despotism. The woman could have done nothing. She had walked the changing ways, had sufficient access and privilege that she could have lived out her life as safe as anyone else, as free as anyone else. She could have had her life at the cost of those who would come after her. Indeed, many of her peers told her that was what she should do. After all, they reasoned, others would have to do no more than she had had to do, at least then. They said, even if things became truly horrible, as though they had not already, she could just leave and go somewhere else. My child, it was beyond her to simply let these injustices pass. She saw suffering and could not abide it. Instead of fleeing from oppression, she rallied others under a banner of blue and gold, which bore the scales of justice, 
balanced on the tip of a sword. Her fight brought her first to the halls of power, where she railed and cried against those who had permitted such cruelty to take root. She took to the streets and gathered others who had awoken to the hatred that pervaded her nation. This evil had already leaked out to other kingdoms, infected them, cowing those who sought peace, emboldening those who flew flags of hate. She showed them where to be, how to yell and to be heard, how to fight without raising a sword. And this vile man, he took notice of her, of her threat to the comfortable, ordered pain on which he sat. He branded her an enemy, accused her of the direst crimes, charged her with sedition and treason. He tried to turn the people away from her, and when that failed, tried to destroy her ability to speak. Where she went, she found the halls of government closed to her. When she spoke, those who had power were warned not to listen. So she spoke louder. She was arrested, punished, threatened with worse, and so she railed all the harder. When doors were barred against her, she broke them down, sometimes literally. When government attempted to shut her out, she ground it to a halt by any means at her disposal until it had to stop and listen to what she said. I wish, my child, I could tell you that that was enough. In other times in history, it had been enough. Perhaps if more people had stood with her, if more had understood the threat one man can be, perhaps if more had recognised the paths that had led this man to power, or the dangers of suffering a group so dedicated to personal enrichment that they are willing to destroy everything, including the land itself, to get what they want. Perhaps. We can never really know how things might have been different, only how they were. Perhaps this could have ended differently. But it ended as perhaps it was destined to, in blood. The man, so infected by his own ego, could not back down. He could not relent, even the tiniest bit, on the cruelty that he inflicted on everyone around him. He had, after all, a long line of predecessors, each more arrogant, more horrible than the last, each who had never faced consequences for even the worst abuses of their assorted officers to look back on. Hatred like his does not just exist statically. It grows like a twisted thorn unless rooted out. And this man's roots ran deep and strong. When he could no longer ignore her, he abandoned all pretense. No longer was his a government of law, but a government of, by, and through him, and him alone. The woman was branded an enemy, to be killed on sight, her supporters and followers to be dealt with as harshly as possible. Even then, she could have left. Many did. Many did not and died, martyrs to the cause of justice and equity. We may never know the true numbers of the dead, nor will we ever have a true tally of the dead's names or lives. What we do know is that this woman did not flee. She did not hide. She took up a sword to match her banner, and she marched. She fought, and her allies and supporters and friends fought by her side. But the man had allies as well, 
they had the benefits of power, of money, of control. From the very beginning, it appeared that the woman could not overcome what the man and those like him who had preceded him had built. It is a terrifying thing to be so overwhelmed. But there is a curious thing about cruelty. When one lives an entire life without ever facing any resistance, when one builds a world premised on hurting the most vulnerable, one forgets that power is not invincible. An individual ignores the consequences of their actions at their own peril. The man had a government, but it was a government weakened by graft and corruption. He had money, but he could not buy a skilled strategist or an army willing to die for him. He had control, but he could not understand why he couldn't control others when the risk to them became greater than he. He built a world of cruelty and found that it could be just as cruel to him. Which is not to say that the outcome of this war was predestined. There were many times when a bit of chance could have turned the tides. It is perhaps easy and tempting to say that men like that cannot survive forever. Even if that were the truth, though, it is not a guarantee that any one person could have done what the woman did in the end. And the longer a man like that remains in power, the more harm he causes. No one should ever permit hatred to rule, even for the shortest time. Hatred causes harm that can never be erased. And if nothing else remains with you, my child, remember this. The loss of even one life is a tragedy that can never be repaid or remedied. Their war raged across this land, from the seas to the mountains. The woman led her people into battle, fighting at their head. The man sent others to do battle in his stead, unwilling or simply incapable of showing any interest in his own war. It is said that his wrath was fearsome, that his generals began to lie to him about the state of the war so that they would not have to face his rage. More than a few of his most talented soldiers defected or simply left the war behind to live beyond the edges of battle. It is said that when her army arrived at the capital city, ready for the final conflict, he was completely surprised. His last advisers had told him he was completely safe, that the woman was safely contained in some remote part of the kingdom, unable to raise an army large enough to do more than sit besieged. They lied to his face, and then fled the city. It is said that so great was his anger that the last of his officers fled in the night, and he was left with no one to die in his place. But do not think that this was an easy victory. He still had an army, one made of those who did not realize that they fought to support a regime built on pain, or who did realize this and believed it to be the best possible world, or, worst of all, those who realized it and simply did not care. Nor was the woman's army untouched by the horrors they had experienced. War is a terrible thing, even a just and necessary war. It haunts those who live through it, whether fighter or witness. The woman, who had seen the war from its inception, from the twisted roots that gave birth to it as surely as they had given birth to the man, had no desire to force more pain on those who fought at her side. The man, who had turned away from war, and therefore never had to experience it, 
had no ability to force his army to fight on his behalf. In the end, the woman set the rules for the final battle, and she chose a personal fight between herself and him. It was a proposition that appealed greatly to him, because he had long ago begun to believe in his own lies about his invincibility. He thought that by removing this one woman, a woman he could not even refer to by her true name, he would win and his world would revert to the comfortable cycle of abuse and cruelty that he had so carefully cultivated. It also appealed greatly to the woman, being the wiser of the two. She knew that both armies wished for nothing more than an end to the fighting, but her army fought to protect, while his fought only to save itself. If she won, then his army would fall apart, held together solely by dedication to him. If he won, on the other hand, then her army would continue on in her absence, and she had lost nothing but her life. That was the great secret of a victory, in the end. She won because of the reason why she fought to protect and save others, to build a better world for those who would come after her. She did not fight to serve herself or ease her own hardships, those she had already overcome. She fought to prevent others, to prevent children, like you, from having to face those same hardships. They met, their swords drawn, in a great plaza on the edge of the capital, what had once been a bustling marketplace, but the man had rebuilt into a monument to himself and his heroes. Those who had paved the way for his ambitions, who had shown him how to refine cruelty into a needle-sharp point, and to forge a path to power out of the blood of the vulnerable. The man made a grand voice speech about a perfect world, a world in his image, a world free from deviation. His words were not pretty. It had been a very long time since he had to make them pretty, and there was only the thinnest veneer of respectability to his speech. Whatever his words, his intent was plain. He promised a world of cruelty and the destruction of the things he had worked so hard to convince others were a threat. Honesty, equity, love. When he was done, the woman raised her sword and said simply, a perfect world is one free from the petty hatreds of petty cowards. They fought, my child. It is a glorious and terrible thing to see a true battle between masters. The woman lacked formal training in the sword, but she had had many long years of bitter experience to learn how to handle a blade. The man had no experience in a true fight, for until the woman had come none would have dared to take up a sword against him, but he had the best tutors that money could buy. He scored the first hit, a deep one against her thigh, under the edge of her armour. She landed the next hit, a scratch along his neck, not deep enough to win the fight, but enough to show that she did not think this a game. For him, her blood represented a prize to be won, a story to tell of his invulnerability. For her, though, his blood and hers was the cost of safety. Perhaps the blow had shaken his confidence. Perhaps that scratch had forced him to realise that he could be injured, that he was a flesh and blood person after all. Perhaps he was finally made to recognise the difference between staged exhibitions, where his opponents feared what would happen to them, 
if they allowed any harm to befall him, and a true fight to the death against someone who no longer feared him. Or perhaps it was simply fate. Whatever the reason, her first hit was not her last. Her sword flashed out with all the fury of an avenging angel. She caught him between the segments of his pauldron on the right, her blade severing the mail underneath and fouling the armour. On the backstroke, she dented the cooter and rear brace, rendering his right arm immobile inside his armour. He was forced to switch his sword to his offhand, and she pressed the attack. Another strike dented his helmet, and another slipped between the gaps of his armour, drawing blood again. He fell back, hoping to get to the safety of an army that was no longer there. He did not break before her, though, and his counterstrokes bloodied her arms and shoulders. A lucky thrust took her eye and left a scar on her muzzle that she wore for the rest of her life. While they fought, her army liberated the city. His effigies were pulled down and shattered, his visage defaced wherever it appeared. It was a brutal battle, but a short one. In the end, she drove her sword through his throat, and he died, silenced by the wound, in the streets of the city he had tried to strangle. The war did not end there, of course. There is no shortage of individuals who feel entitled to absolute deference, who will not hesitate to fan the flames of hatred to secure power. But the war did not last much longer. Without their figurehead, Without a standing army, the forces of oppression flitted and died, at least for the moment. New laws were drafted, designed to protect against the excesses of the previous era. As for the woman, she refused to accept any position in the new government. She was honoured, of course, but largely she eschewed such things. In the few statues she permitted to be raised in her honour, and every painting made of her, she insisted that her scar and missing eye be prominently shown. A reminder, she said, that there is no price too high to pay to fight if it means that others may live more freely. She designed only one monument, which stands now when her blood first spilled in her fight with the man. It was, and is, a pillar of steel, representing her sacrifices and the lengths to which we must go to protect those who cannot protect themselves. She spoke, on occasion, and travelled so that others might see her and know her story from her. But after a few short years, she retired to live out the rest of her life in peace. That was, after all, all she ever wanted. She did all that, the boy wondered softly, but she didn't have to. The dragon shook its massive head. No, she was no longer beholden to the gatekeepers of the changing ways, able to take from them what she needed without having to be physically present. If she chose, though she really did, she was fully capable of passing as though she had never walked the ways. She was fortunate in life, and had both support and means to flee, though, of course, in that time, there were few safe places to run to. Power! particularly power born of hate, does not content itself to what it has. It is like a fire. It consumes and grows and must continue to grow or die. Why didn't she run? I said, my child, the dragon told him, though its tone was patient. 
It mattered more to her that you would have the safety she was denied. The boy looked past the dragon at the forest, his brow furrowed in concentration. You're wondering why I chose that story to tell you, the dragon asked. The boy, sheepish, nodded. Because it is important to know the history of this place, and that you appreciate what was sacrificed to give you the freedom you now have. Do not mistake me, the dragon continued when the boy opened his mouth to interrupt. I didn't tell you this to imply that you have any obligation to her or to the changing ways. If you decide this is not what you want, either now or after you have travelled the ways for a time, or that if you are not yet ready to walk the path, then that is a fine and valid decision. You should know what it cost to make that option available to you, however, so that you can understand that it is your choice. That is what she wanted, the freedom to choose, and, more importantly, the freedom for you to choose, and all others who seek out the entrance to the changing ways. If you go no further than that stump, then all that I ask of you is that you remember the woman who gave her eye and her blood that everyone might have the right to decide for themselves what will best heal their soul. Remember her, so that when evil individuals like him arise again, and they will, that you will know what is at stake and do what is right. The boy hesitated, then said, Can I ask another question? The dragon laughed, a rich, sun-dappled river of a laugh. My child, you may ask as many questions as you desire. My time is unlimited. Why didn't you tell me their names? I did not tell you her name, because she wished to be known by her actions. What mattered to her is what she did, and she wanted others to remember sacrifice and pain, and, above all, how necessary it is to fight for each other before the fight becomes the only option remaining. I can tell you that she was a beautiful woman, tall and strong, with dark black fur and a long bushy tail that she loved, even as she insisted that she was vain to love a part of herself. I can tell you that she was not vain, whatever she thought, but so selfless as to believe that her honest joy in existence in simply being permitted to be, might be vanity. I did not tell you his name, however, because people like that desire more than anything else to be remembered, whether as hero or villain. It is the greatest and last punishment we can inflict on someone willing to hurt others for their own self-aggrandizement that we condemn their memory itself to damnation and remember only their crimes and their fall. Her statues, few though they are, still stand. Of him, no image nor description remains. The boy sat back and digested this. These were heady thoughts for a boy who wished only to shed dresses for breeches, to cut his hair short, but not too short, to choose a name that reflected himself and not the wishes of others. The dragon sat with him, not speaking, barely moving, a dark, scaly sentinel in the comforting gloom of the forest. At long last, the boy stood up and took a deep breath, facing the dark path into the forest. I'm ready, he said, 
and the dragon smiled at him. But do you think you could walk with me a while? The dragon inclined its great head. My child, I will be by your side for as long as you wish, however far down the ways you decide to go. This was The Reason Why by J.S. Hawthorne, read for you by William Dingo, the Sunrise Spectator. You can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride, and thank you for listening to The Voice of Dog.